Homily for the Fourth Sunday of Lent. St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks, March 14th, 2021. Those of you listening to this podcast, first of all, thank you. Secondly, if you come to St. Mary's Church, you will notice a small display that we have set up honoring the year of St. Joseph. Our St. Joseph statue, which is usually in a corner near the baptismal font, has been pulled out closer into the center of the sanctuary, and we have set up a table with various tools representing the carpenter trade. Another thing we're doing during the season of Lent is including the litany of St. Joseph in the praying of the rosary prior to our weekend masses. So I invite you to please join with us wherever you may be listening to this, in asking for the intercession of St. Joseph, the husband of our patroness, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And also note that this coming Friday, March 19th, is the Solemnity of St. Joseph. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church and patron of a happy death, pray for us. When priests all over the world wear rose-colored vestments as the church directs us on the fourth Sunday of Lent, we strike a visual contrast. Rose doesn't seem to go well with all the violet and the sparse decoration of the sanctuary this time of year. It's a brightness which bursts out from a darker, more muted background. This day symbolizes a joyous attitude in the midst of a season of penance. We don't only think about the grace we stand to lose because of sin. We also think about the salvation we hope to gain. Today, Jesus sums this up in a poetic way in our gospel. Before diving into that, let's revisit today's first reading. The part of the Bible from which our first reading comes is itself an attention-getter. When's the last time you have thought about the books of Chronicles? Very seldom do we use the two books of Chronicles during Mass, primarily because they are historical summaries of the early kingdoms of the people of Israel. The material these books contain appears in other places in the scripture, for the most part, and is not original. However, we are given this reading because it demonstrates both a time of great loss and a time of great gain. Imagine for a moment that Troops from a faraway country invaded our area, burned our city to the ground, and then took a large majority of the citizens away to live in a foreign land. That's exactly what happened to Israel about 600 years before the birth of Christ. We call this the Babylonian captivity, and it was the lowest point in the history of ancient Israel. Yes, the very recollection of these events was humiliating them was humiliating, but recalling them was a sort of obligation. Just as those in exile refused to forget their beloved Jerusalem, and their descendants refused to forget that period of exile, so we as people of faith must never forget this sad chapter either. We take pains to avoid banishing the tragedy of the exile from our discourse and our memory. We do this not only to be in solidarity with the victims of it, but to remind ourselves of the evils that are possible in this world, so that we'll never let our guard down. But notice that the reading didn't stop with the tyranny of Babylon. 
All of Earth's kingdoms fall as surely as they rise. Eventually, another neighboring kingdom, Persia, overtook Babylon as the dominant power in the Middle East. King Cyrus was accustomed to the spoils of war, but the discovery of a nation of thousands of persecuted, displaced people surprised him. He did not profess faith in the God of Israel, but his conscience stirred him to action. Then comes the decree. Return home. Restore not only your homes and businesses, but your temple as well. Don't just think of recovering prosperity and security for your family. Recover the fullness of your identity. This reading is an answer for us to the question, how bad can things get? It is also an assurance that better times lie ahead. This reading challenges us to look honestly at what we have to lose, and it shows us what we stand to gain. God gave the Israelites every opportunity to repent of their sins, and later on, God sent them a compassionate leader who delivered them from exile. Today's gospel is actually part of a conversation between two people, Jesus and Nicodemus. We learn earlier in chapter 3 that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, a high-ranking religious council. Nicodemus personifies the plight of so many of us in that his life was a tug of war between light and darkness. None of us is ever completely on one side or the other. Jesus' teaching and miracles intrigued Nicodemus. There's no way anyone could do what Jesus does and not be an authentic messenger of God. But many of Nicodemus's peers had already made up their minds. This Jesus, they argued, was a troublemaker at best and a blasphemer at worst. He didn't march to the beat of their drum. As the storm clouds of rejection gathered against the Lord, Nicodemus was caught in a predicament. He couldn't resist investigating the goodness he found in the person of Jesus, but he feared the fallout he might have to endure from doing so publicly. So Jesus agreed to meet with him after nightfall. We come away from this scene drawing an obvious conclusion. Nicodemus cannot go on like this. If he throws in his lot with his buddies on the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus then turns his back on his deepest longings. A new start, communion with God, and eternal life. If he follows in Christ's footsteps, Nicodemus can kiss his position of honor goodbye. Plus, in the aftermath of that decision, who knows what else may happen to him? Put yourself in Nicodemus's shoes for a moment. In what way is the battle of holiness versus evil playing out inside of you? What is the Lord asking you to renounce? in order to step into the light of his grace. Here's the good news. In the confessional, you will find the light and the freedom you seek. In the confessional, Jesus wages and wins that battle in you. You may not like hearing this, but one of the things that saddens me most as your pastor is how many of you are hugging the darkness instead of running to the light. You are not the only ones who will have to answer for this. When I, an unworthy shepherd of his flock, acting in his name, come before the judgment seat of Christ, he will ask me about it as well. 
Did you lead and invite my people to encounter my mercy? Use the light Jesus gives you by his grace to name those sins and attachments that would hold you in darkness, no matter how large or small they are, how old or recent they are, or how many or few they are. Maybe you're afraid to admit them to God or give them up. Confess that fear, too, and cast it out. Consider how long Nicodemus remained in the darkness. Ask God for the gift of contrition, which means true sorrow for our sins. And please make a good confession soon. Let Jesus, the divine physician, treat and heal your spiritual illness. Even though the obligation for attending Sunday Mass has been temporarily lifted the past year, many of us could use the reconciliation the Lord is offering to us. Perhaps this year we may think of confession as a way to reset and resume the regular practice of our faith. To increase our confidence, Jesus gives us a one-sentence statement of faith, which has become one of the best-loved and most memorized verses in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. Now, moms and dads, doesn't that strike a chill in your hearts? Who among you would gladly surrender a son or daughter into hands that are far from loving for any reason at all? What we consider unthinkable, the Father did willingly, out of love for us. We are truly joyful over the mercy we have gained, only when we appreciate the cost that was paid. Amen.